0: On the record.
1: On News Talk. Good morning. This is Andrea Gilligan in for Kieran Cudahy. We will we will be with you right up until one o'clock today with the uh, on the record here on News Talk. If you want to contact the program, you can get us uh, on text today with any of your queries, comments, and opinions five three one o six at a cost of thirty cent, or you can also get us on Twitter at Andrea Gilligan. Now, first picking their way through today's Sunday papers, Shane O'Carroll Carroll, news editor with the Journal.ie, Gavin Riley, political correspondent with TV Three, and also Ivana Batchik, Labour senator and law lecturer at uh, Trinity College Dublin. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Morning, Very good morning. Good Good morning. morning. Good. um, Just to give you a little flavour of what's in the headlines, the front page stories today starting with the Sunday Independent, USC Billions for Pensions Abyss. Uh, Philip Ryan writing the government's long promised plan to merge USC and PRSI could be used to offset the growing risk posed to the country's financial stability by the pension time bomb according to the Sunday Indo this morning in the Sunday Business Post Irish regulator told to Clamp down on Facebook ad targeting. The British regulator says it's deeply concerned at ads privacy policies. Uh, according to Jack Organ Jones there, the British data watchdog is set to ask its Irish counterpart to try and beef up its policing of what it describes as deeply con- the deeply concerning way that Facebook targets ads at its users. The Sunday Times today, Justine McCarthy, Dragon's Den star Duffy fired up for Aristilt. The Dragon's Den star Gavin Duffy is planning to emulate his former TV colleague Sean Gallagher by seeking to contest the presidential election and of course an October contest became pretty inevitable yesterday when uh, Sinn Féin decided to field a candidate. Looking at the tabloids this morning, the Irish Mail on Sunday, Ryanair rejects strike payouts. Um, According to uh, the paper today, the watchdog says passengers are entitled to a 250 euro um, compensation if flight is cancelled but not so, argues the Budget Airline and also the Sunday World today. Their headline, Dun and Dumber Dundons act the funny men and give two fingers to the justice system as they beat a contraband case and more on that story in the Sunday World. Well we're going to start with the prospect of a presidential election because it's in all of the papers this morning. Just to give you um, a little taste of who's writing what and what is out there for you today Sunday Times, Justine McCarthy, Dragon's Den star Duffy fired up for Aris Tilt in the Sunday Indo. O'Connor pressure on local councils to help um, the election hopefuls. Also, Sean Gallagher, a small elite, seems to think an election doesn't fit its agenda. And also in uh, some of the papers today, Brenda Power, a small elite, seems to think that an election doesn't fit its agenda. And Higgins is no Pope, so why do we worship the ground he walks on, according to Brenda Power. And as I mentioned there, sorry, that small elite seems to think an election doesn't fit its agenda, is actually an opinion piece by Sean Gallagher in uh, in the Sunday Independent this morning. Um, plenty of coverage of the the presidential election in the papers. Just to start with yourself, Sinead, what... a uh what stood out for you today?
2: Yeah, well, we're definitely having a presidential election. We just don't know who the players in that election will be, and we're actually not that much closer. We're playing a guessing game. I think every Sinn Fein person I've met in the last five days has said, "Well, who's who's running? Who's your name?" And I don't even think that they have. It's not even that we're trying to guess who they have in mind. They're like we, Lee and Arena is the kind of one that we're hearing most. Um, about, we're, we're hearing, you know, it's, a, it's probably going to be a young woman to set up the, you know, the Michael D against a young woman. So kind of we'll have th- that national conversation that we're all hearing about. Whereas really it's just, you know, I think, a, a very easy way for Sinn Féin to talk about uh, their policies and what they want Ireland to be for, for three months uncontested by uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Although I think um, when we're looking at uh, Sean Gallagher, and if it's Gavin uh, Duffy, as as the Sunday Times had said, um, and the fact that Fianna Fáil are going to let their councillors do what they wish, um, even though they've asked them very politely not to put a candidate forward, we might have a Fianna Fáil candidate just not in name I think yeah it was a, a yeah, fascinating yeah,
0: a fascinating thing that I thought was actually in the, the Sunday Times lead which is about the idea of Gavin Duffy perhaps being a candidate and, and by the by there seems to be some sort of mixed messages within the papers today because uh, Hugh O'Connell in the Sunday Business Post is also talking about the prospect that Noel Whelan might be eyeing it yeah. up and there's a suggestion that because he's a close uh, ally and friend of Sean Gallagher that perhaps Sean Gallagher's uh, overtures to councils earlier this week were maybe as a stalking horse to see if uh, Noel Whelan might be able to get himself on the ballot yet now we discover in the Sunday Times that in fact perhaps he's doing it as a stalking horse for Gavin Duffy his former Dragon's Den colleague because they're also quite close and because Gavin Duffy um, is, something, is perhaps eyeing it up um, but also in Justine McCarthy's piece on the front page of the Sunday Times a very interesting line about uh, as Sinead mentioned Fianna Fáil councillors um, this idea that on Thursday Fianna Fáil's national executive decided that it would allow councillors to nominate whosoever it wanted which is uh, a complete departure from the previous policy because three weeks ago when they announced that Fianna Fáil would be backing Michael D Higgins Um, Micheál Martin went on national radio and said that that was going to be party policy from top to bottom in other words that TDs and senators and councillors would all be actively supporting Michael D Higgins now the party has been told that in fact its councillors can nominate and support whoever they like and that means uh, Andrea on a a more practical Mm -hmm. level that it means that at least 18 of the country's 31 county councils now have enough people on them to nominate someone else. If it was the case that Fianna Fáil councillors were effectively under a party whip and had to support Michael D and then couldn't facilitate anyone else, there wouldn't be a single council anywhere in the country Mm. that had enough independence to pull someone over the line. Now, with Fianna Fáil back in play, it means that there are 18 councils.
2: And Sean Gallagher has said he's heard from 17... Uh, indeed which would be enough to get four more
0: candidates on the ballot paper
2: so maybe he's talking horse for both of them that's what (laughs) I was thinking as you were speaking there like his opinion piece in the Sunday Times or Sunday Independent he's talking about how when he was the candidate and he had more than four councillors ready and he asked them then to transfer further support to, to Norris and to uh, Dan and Rosemary Scallan. Mm. So maybe he is okay, but maybe he's being completely upfront, and he just wants the more candidates, the better. Can I ask you,
1: um, uh, uh, Ivana Bacic your own former Labour colleague? Obviously, Michael D Higgins um, looks like he's going to be on the campaign trail, and even from reading some of the various different, you know, uh, opinion pieces and analysis in the Sunday Sunday papers today, it looks like Michael D Higgins could have a very, a clear run at this, and he'll be the one to get over the line. Well
3: I certainly would hope to see Michael T Higgins re-elected as president I think he's been a superb president I'm very proud that he was a Labour Party candidate originally in 2011 of course he's now a president for all the people and I think he's hugely popular there's a huge affection for him I mean my own kids and you know chil- you a know, much younger generation I really look up to him really are, are uh, so they, they I think really respect and admire him so I think, I think he would be a difficult candidate to beat you know I think it clearly is now the case there will be an election as Sinead and Gavin have said Um, Sinn Féin are obviously looking to have a platform in which to expound their policies and really put forward their uh, party philosophy I think and that's really what they're clearly going to use the presidency campaign for whatever they may be saying about the prospects of success of their candidate who looks likely to be Leo Rieders as as, uh, Sinead has said. But I think um, Fall now seem to have been wrong-footed, really, by that Sinn Féin decision to the extent that I think it's probably the case that we will see a Fall candidate in all but name, or maybe more than one. I mean, I looked at the Sean Gallagher opinion piece this morning, and it struck me that he may not be a stalking horse for anyone but himself because <laughs> he's got a, you know, there's a very beautifully, um, a beautifully presented photograph of of him with his family. Mm. It's uh, he speaks very uh, eloquently about, you know, the campaign he ran in t- back in 2011 and so on. So. I'm not sure he's a stalking horse for anyone. I think he may w- genuinely want to run again himself. But but equally, there may well, as the others have said, now be other people coming forward. And I think it's probably if we're going to have a contest, I think it's probably better that there is a con- is a genuine contest between with a number of people coming forward. I would I would suspect. Yeah. But I'm very proud that Labour will be supporting Michael okay. D. Higgins. Can I course. just
1: can I just ask you because Ivana, there was obviously a lot of commentary during the week about the fact that Michael D. had previously said he'd only run for <laughs> one term, and then he announced. A lot of people would say quite late in the day that he's going to run the second term. Has that, what kind of damage do you think has that done to Michael D?
3: I don't think people will see that as a problem. I must say that. I think he's in better health now than he's ever been. He's uh, he's extreme, He's been extremely uh, active as a president. I mean, has done an an, ino- an incredible number of visits uh, to other countries, has represented Ireland so well abroad as well as here at home. So I think that it's understandable that after such a successful seven year term, he would have made a decision to run again. He's under no obligation to declare earlier or later and I think mm. he's. You know, he's he certainly declared and very it's, clearly it's, now, and also I think people had anticipated he would make that decision. So yeah, I don't but think but he did it's going say to be though that issue. he wouldn't.
1: And, and and you know, I know we discussed it here in some of the programs throughout the week, and you know, even just from, for instance, just messages from listeners from people that you know want to chime in and have their say in the discussion and certainly you, you couldn't get away from the fact that a lot of people took issue with that 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 was an issue for them
3: Yeah and I'm sure it will be raised during the campaign but as I say I think he's entitled to say well look I've you know look I made a different decision having had the experience of the seven years in the office and having that such a successful presidential uh, term of office I think it's fair enough to say that for sure people will be able to challenge him yeah. on it I think I th- that you know and it's I a fair th- question to I ask I think Schneider back in, in
2: 2011 um, like that campaign was a bit vicious <laughs> not even a bit vicious it, it was, was pretty extremely vicious, vicious. Yeah. Um, there was a huge amount of pressure and Michael D Higgins didn't like it at the time because it was extremely ageist he f- I think he was very much felt pressurised into saying okay if I run I'll only do it for one term it was not a deeply held position no, it, it he was the had only mud
0: that anyone could throw at him was yeah, his age basically and, you know. and he
2: kind yes, of ended up succumbing to the pressure a little bit and said okay I'll uh, do one term, but I think they, the presidency isn't a political position. But he's absolutely still a politician, and I do think the late, <laughs> the late announcement, even though he had been signalling it, and we probably did know, it does make it extremely late for anybody to come up with the money. I think is the main thing. It's extremely expensive to run any kind of political campaign, never mind a presidential. Well, well, well I, I think the interesting thing, the thing is, is the vicious
3: nature of presidential campaigns. And I think, Sinead you're quite right to, re- to reflect on that. That you know the, p- the point at which he made that um, that comment in 2011 really was appointed which he was under enormous pressure because of his age. I mean I still I, you know I think all of us would feel immense sympathy for many of the other candidates who had an awful lot of stuff mm. thrown mm. at them too. I mean David Norris who was, still speaks very uh, again very very, very much about uh, yeah. how he had the, the sort of the trauma of, mm-hmm. of running in that campaign. There's an awful so lot of scrutiny so there's a, you, you know the candidates m- are under and, when and they put their name And it's very in personal scrutiny race. Andrea I mean unlike you know yeah, general election It and general is unlike election, any other it, It's contest. very much personal and I think so I think that was the context in which that comment was made and I think as I say he has Actually, been so so good as a president. You know, I really hope he will be returned. Having said, you know, there will be a contest clearly now, but I think he'll be, I think he'll be successful. And I would say, in terms of the declaration, the, po- the timing of the declaration, I think for memory, Mary McAleese made a made a uh, commitment a decision to run again at a similar time, and of course, ended up being returned on a and was very again a very successful. Uh, president he, he
0: did point out himself when he was uh, questioned about that on Tuesday in Castlebar that he did say that um, you know he's he's left four and a half months or thereabouts for other candidates to. Get get themselves in line which he said is more than enough time because if you remember Mary Robinson apparently only declared her hand uh, 12 weeks before the election and as he said uh, was quite successful in doing that now of course that was in circumstances where she was able to get her own party to yeah, nominate Yeah it's different when you have sedatives. party machinations you, yeah, behind and you completely. don't have to go through the machinery of local councils um, One interesting point about all of this now that we know that Michael D. Higgins is going to be contested and, and we know that it can't simply be a repeat of 1966 yeah. where Eamon De Valera simply didn't hit the campaign trail because he was quite literally too frail to to go out and do a national tour and he was effectively blind and he was trying to cover up his deficiencies that way. It will be very, very interesting to see how a campaign is conducted so that Michael D. Higgins is put under the fair amount of scrutiny that any Mm. candidate for elected office ought to be exposed to while not at the same time perhaps demeaning the standing of his office. Because we're in a weird situation now where he will be the candidate Mm. but he will also still be the president. president. You're never not the president until someone else takes it Mm. off you. Uh, So how do we, uh, you know, put reasonable questions to someone ask all of those questions and um, you know put it under the scrutiny that, that it deserves and that the the high standing of his office completely justifies and um, but if we get into a situation where it's like seven years ago when you have mud being thrown the actual president does it perhaps demean the standing of the office or the, the the grace of whoever it is that takes over the role from him or his re-election that will be a really really difficult thing to see because we're effectively we're going to be electing the office and not yeah. just a candidate it's going to be a very those, tricky thing if you
2: read the papers today, some of the opinion pieces in the papers uh, there hasn't been a huge amount of resistance uh, thus far no, and I think hasn't. one of the themes across a lot of the opinion pieces today is his comments about Fidel Castro on, on his death um, so I think that's probably going to be one of the things that he's going to have to answer an awful lot in the mm. in the coming months um, and the idea that wanting to stay in a position, the Sunday Times editorial talks about the position being well paid and perfect for someone who likes to be in the public eye and expound on their own personal philosophies. Um, so that is their take on my on Michael D wants to go again. So I'm not sure we're going to have as much reticence as maybe uh, Gav was saying and there. I, I all think it might g- be
3: very valuable in fact to be able to have a debate nationally about uh, the nature of the presidency and what we want from it. You know clearly we're all conscious that the nature of our presidency changed hugely when Mary Robinson was elected mm. in 1990 that for the first time you had a much clearer vi- you know a different vision being articulated by a president rather than just rather than not articulating any vision yeah. at all so I, I think since then we've seen different views of what the presidency is about and I think it's it, it's a good idea that we'll be talking be able to talk about that and be able to scrutinize Michael D's presidency mm. and um you know I think it's uh,
2: interesting when you talked about your k- kids so for your children The idea of the presidency is somebody like Michael D. Higgins, who speaks like him, who who talks like him. Whereas when I was growing up, Mary Robinson was the idea of a president to me. And then Mary McAleese really followed in that suit. So for like my entire childhood, that was the idea of the presidency. So I think you're right. Talking about it is actually really Mm -hmm. helpful so that and the 14 years does make that. An extremely well, long the, time to. Yeah, that's to one of the points that, that, um, that
1: Mary Lou McDonald made yesterday was the fact that she said that the the young people, young voters today, haven't had a say in terms of who the who the president is, um, and then obviously she talked about the fact they weren't looking for a gender specific candidate. Um, what kind of weight do you think that will put on the presidential race of Anna Batchik? The fact that, because age, whether it be you describe it as ageist or not, it's, it, it's a part of the discussion that's already taken place.
3: Yes, it is. But I think what would be useful, actually, or valuable, as I say, this time, is that, uh, is that we'd be able to reflect on, on that kind of on the, on the vision of the presidency hopefully rather than the very personal mm. attacks on individual candidates that we've seen in the 2011 campaign and indeed campaigns before that too mm. where it, it became it was very personal uh, uh, in the campaign when Mary McAleese was running as I recall yeah, in, in 97, 97 against Eddie Roach it, and Mary Benoit Exactly yeah. it was, yeah. and I mean there was a lot of really what we might describe as character assassination was going on in that campaign and then in 2011 and you know I'm looking thinking back that it wasn't just David Norris who was subject to that level of very personal and quite vicious scrutiny Yeah, you so uh, think Mary Davis, Mary as well Davis. As the, the Quango yes, Queen yes. and uh, Dana
0: think, was obviously in again and then there were suggestions yeah. about other people in her family and how all of that That's was thrown right. up. That's right, people's so,
3: family members yeah. were brought in. Everyone would recall that. So, you know, I think it would be great if this time round, maybe because we have a sitting president running and therefore it's a bit di- more difficult to navigate... But I think the the benefit of that might be that we'll be talking more about the view of what the presidency should be about and about policy mm, and vision articulation okay. exactly. so, rather, rather than individual and, or individual's families, which really was a horrible feature. I just
1: want to ask yourself, Gavin, um, the front story, the front page story in the Sunday Times today about Gavin Duffy, where he says that he can either confirm or deny his intention to, to, to run. Well, he's not denying it. He's not denying <laughs> it, exactly. And we're discussing it. So, uh, But look, the reality is that Reality TV stars can become president. Donald Trump <laughs> has proven it. I'm not suggesting Gavin Duffy the same is, is the, no. the Trump equivalent. But could we have two former Dragon's Den TV stars actually run, running against uh, each other? I,
0: I don't think they would end up running against each other. I think it would be an either-or situation in terms of himself or... Um, or Sean Gallagher and I, I'm th- there's a bit of me even though that Sean Gallagher has clearly taken the lead in trying to do this there's a bit of me that wonders whether Sean Gallagher would really have any interest in going through all of that again given that before the the spectacular way in which his campaign was derailed in the last seven days of the last campaign there was of course before that massive scrutiny over his business dealings the suggestions that he might not have been as successful a businessman as it was made out to be perhaps sometimes you know they had people digging up his old uh, corporate accounts to try and figure out how heavily leveraged some of his smart homes it was, it was a really miserable thing and no doubt we would have to end up revising all of that and um, I think uh, just to, to go back to the, the, the original question which we started the, the idea of who the Sinn Féin candidate might be one of the things that was interesting about the last time is that we basically decided that the presidency was now going to be this semi-ambassadorial role where we were going to elect, you know, Mary Davis and her history with Special Olympics. So it would be something of an outreach towards, uh, you know, people with disabilities or the those who are, are less well-abled. Uh, Dana came at it with a certain religious ethos and a certain constitutional approach. Sean Gallagher wanted to be the candidate for enterprise, which is clearly the the tack that Gavin Duffy might be taking now. Um you know they basically come at this with a giant theme that they want to be a, a chief ambassador or a spokesperson for a particular cause we even perhaps see it already this year Joan Freeman founder of Pieta House yeah, yeah. We clearly want to bring a mental health approach to it if Sinn Féin were going for it I think they'd have to choose between different candidates potentially based on what exactly their overarching vision would be because some of the other What's candidates we've mentioned uh, like? Leonie Rida or, or others um, Lynn Boylan has been mentioned but she's now on the selection committee so it looks like she's out of the running there have been suggestions about Cuevino O'Quailon, who is the kind of elder gentleman role inside in Leinster House that he's not running for the doll again he may go for it suggestions that they could look for an outsider like Robert Balla who would clearly come to it with a, an arts perspective which would be a very interesting clash if it were himself and Michael Dehe because they would both be so inverted commas artsy. Um, but a real question for Shane Féin would be exactly what theme do they want to approach? Do they want to just make it a, okay. a, a Northern Ireland reconciliation thing or do they want to go slightly off their more beaten track?
1: Can I just ask you, um, Sinead O'Carroll, as well? There's a piece, another piece, uh, Hugh O'Connell has mm. um, a piece in the Sunday Business Post today about Noel Whelan. Mm. What, what is the, what's the story there?
2: So, Noel Whelan, um, he would have, so obviously, uh, Gavin mentioned earlier he's also a, a close pal of Sean Gallagher so we're not sure if Sean Gallagher is talking about himself if he's talking about Noel Whelan or if he's talking about Gavin Duffy he ruled himself out if uh, initially if uh, Higgins was going to run again but now he said okay well the race seems to be opening up I might consider it if, if, if it's something that, that could happen um, obviously a lot of people will know him as a political commentator he's a barrister he ran for um, election before in the late 90s in 97 um, yeah. in
0: Dublin Southeast, in this very constituency (laughs) yes,
2: did not get elected so um, he has and he was very involved in the um, yes campaign so I think there's you know he has obviously massive political credentials I'm not sure if he would be uh that much of a worry I don't think to, to Michael D. Higgins but he would be an excellent campaigner I think and I think he would um, probably really inject some life into any kind okay. of debates or um, I don't know I, as a news editor I always love the idea of an election for this election I would much prefer it to be a general election and I think because we're having this one we're not <laughs> going to have a general one which obviously stokes more interest Um, but yeah I think it, the more the merrier at this point now if you want to have one you might but as well have a few It does present
0: uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael with an interesting dilemma and though if they're looking at this you know, there's probably likely to be a general election I'm sure we'll come on to this maybe a little bit later in the show but if there is going to be a general election in the next 9 to 12 months those are expensive beasts so there, you yeah. might say yeah. just if you're looking at the purse strings why would you spend the guts of half a million quid on a national campaign in which Michael D Higgins was running anyway he would likely beat you and all you would do is end up sinking money into a candidate that doesn't ultimately get over the line but the question mark now is that if Sinn Féin have chosen to do that anyway and you'd then have the open field where Sinn Féin may perhaps be the only uh, party running an official candidate mm. that do the other parties then still end up having to sink a certain amount of money into backing Michael D Higgins just so that they look like yeah. their active participants And also participants but in that they get the get tough questions
2: you were talking about the national conversation yeah. that we might be starting a conversation about the presidency I think if Sinn Féin are there all the old questions will come up no matter who their candidate yeah. is so I don't think they'll be getting the personal um, kind of mudslinging but I think there will be the old the, the old age old questions the IRA Gerry Adams la, 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 la. I think oh, that, that candidates don't it. have to field all those yeah. questions but I think it is big, the biggest dilemma to... is for
3: Fianna Fáil in this. I mean, in this po- po-
2: point that you make, that
3: you know, will they be left out of the national conversation? Mm-hmm. For Fine Gael, I think they've made it the clear decision to support Michael D Higgins as a party in government. That makes sense. Obviously, for Labour, we're very clearly um, proud to back Michael D Higgins again. But for Fianna Fáil, it does mean, as I've said, they would be. They would, I think. The perception would be that they'd been wrong-footed by Sinn Féin. Were there to be no other candidate in the race other than a Sinn Féin candidate and the and the president Michael D Higgins, so I think that's why we probably will see a Fianna Fáil candidate in all but name. Mm. Whether it's Sean Gallagher, Noel Whelan, uh, Gavin mm. Duffy, or somebody else that we don't know. And, yet, and of
0: course, yeah. the budget is two weeks before the election anyway, so Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will get their fair share of media coverage no matter can what their position anyway, in
1: the yeah. Just can I just ask finally, um, Ivana, on the idea of kind of new politics, and we talk an awful lot about new politics, obviously with with the current government. Um, um there's nothing it's it's obviously a massive change now because we don't have the actual Fianna Gael candidate or the Fianna Fall presidential candidate in in all of this and it seems to kind of take away from what we've been talking about for the last year and that being new politics there isn't really yes are you surprised by that or it does
3: new po- how does New Politics manifest it in a presidential yeah. election? I think that's the difficult ground, and it does leave Fianna Fáil very, uh, very exposed. I think because they they've bought into the New Politics, the confidence and supply. They're backing up Fine Gael but they are in this awkward position of neither you know neither one side nor the other, ne- neither government nor opposition. And as I say, really, the presidential election has exposed that. I think where it makes sense for the party in government to back the sitting president, mm-hmm. even though he was a Labour Party candidate originally, it's much harder. I think for Fianna Fáil to justify that now, given that Sinn Féin have okay. announced they'll run somebody, so it does expose and them. And, but I mean, on, on an everyday level, in the Dáil and Seanad, we see that where they're speaking on one side of the mouth about one thing about mm. something and then voting another way because they've guaranteed to back the government. There are opportunities in New Politics. New Politics gets a very bad name, and I think that's fair. It's fair that it gets a bad name because we do have, as Brendan Howland has spoken about, you know, do nothing doll with 250 private members' bills which have passed second stage because the government can't win a vote to oppose them. And yet, no progress. Okay. But there are opportunities. We've had some some successes with opposition bills. Alan Kelly, my colleague, in um, the doll. We had his bill passed through the Shannon this week, having passed the doll. It's now become law. Small bill, but will make a big difference to okay. craft breweries and small distilleries being able to sell alcohol on the premises. So you know things like that. Pringle's we can make bill it. this week has been a and trip. Thomas Pringle, I'm sure. I'm obviously. Yeah, we've seen lots of examples of that.
1: Okay, well, you're listening to Sinead, the Carol, Gavin, Riley, Anna vanabachik We're talking about some of the stories in the Sunday papers this morning. It is News Talks on the Record. It's Andrea Gilligan in for Kieran Cullough. Here today, and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: On the record,
1: on, on News Talk. This is Andrea Gilligan in for a in this morning on our uh, News Talks on the Record. We're going through the Sunday papers with Sinead Carroll, Gavin Riley, and Ivana Bachik. Now, we're going to turn our attention to Brexit. There's uh, plenty of coverage again in all of the papers today and actually the UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, has been on the BBC this morning. She was speaking to Andrew Marr and here's just a quick listen to some of what she had to say.
4: David Davis has been, was discussing with Michelle Barnier. Michelle Barnier had made clear to him the unnegotiability of the position that we had. So we had a choice. We could have said, well, let's stick where we are and see what happens and risk actually ending up with a chaotic leaving, which I don't think is in people's interests. Or we could have said, OK, let's look at moving forward, let's look at an alternative proposal, which we've put forward. In this one area, uh, aware of the question of trading goods in relation to the frictionless border we needed to make a change we needed to come together come forward with another option mm-hmm. uh, in order to uh, ensure that we can get those negotiations going on trade the clock is ticking mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people want to know why it is that we have put this proposal forward it's because the european commission's two ideas that they put before us two I'm proposals no I- were no good on the one hand it okay. was what would have been for us a very poor trade deal and would have kept Northern Ireland mm. in the customs union, effectively carving Northern Ireland out in these terms from the U- UK. Mm. Mm. That's unacceptable yeah. to any government here in the UK. And on the other hand, what they call EEA plus, which would have meant accepting free movement and accepting being in the customs union. Both of those are unacceptable. They're what people voted against. So faced with that, we had an option. We could go for mm. no deal. And of course, you know, no deal is still there. It's still possible. But I think that the best thing for the UK is to have a deal that sets a good relationship with our trading partners in the future. So if we were going to find something that was in Britain's interests, that delivered on the referendum and that was negotiable, we had to make uh, what is a compromise but is a positive in terms of the benefits that it gives us. I recognise there are many people, there'll be people watching this programme as there were those millions of people who went out to vote leave who feel really strongly, who feel passionately about this issue, about leaving the European Union, and and, many people who voted from the heart to leave the European Union. My job as Prime Minister is to deliver for them, but also I've got to be hard-headed and practical about this and do it in a way that ensures we get the best interests for the UK. Now what this proposal, what this common rule book does, is it protects those jobs and livelihoods that do depend on those integrated supply Mm. chains, those just-in-time processes, it does deal with the issue of the Northern Ireland and Ireland border. But actually these are rules that if you had, you know, some of our major manufacturers in this studio and ask them, Andrew, they'd say, We're going to stay by those rules, yep. we're going to play by those rules anyway.
1: OK, that's the UK Prime Minister Theresa May who was speaking on the BBC this morning to Andrew Marr. Now just having a quick look at what's uh, what's actually been written in the newspapers today, the Sunday Times, Connor Brady May's latest offer does us disservice with a smile. Also in the Sunday Times, the Irish border and its farms could slaughter a US trade deal for Britain In the Business Post, Mark Brennan writes survey shows the vast majority of Irish firms bracing for Brexit uh, May's cherry picking solution needs uh, delicate handling. Also in the Business Post, it's time we helped Britain to get a good deal on Brexit, and um, there's an editorial there—a taste of a hard Brexit—in the Business Post. Also, in the uh, the Sunday Independent this morning, the first and uh, the front page: Philip Ryan writing that the cabinet move to move Irish oil reserves from Britain as Brexit deadline looms closer. Paddy Agnew: Europeans fear death of a dream as the UK shuffles aside. Also in the Independent, May offers new clarity in UK's Brexit trade-offs, and Colin McCarthy writing this morning that uh, the UK dilemma over Brexit is beginning to morph into a constitutional crisis and Owen Harris also has uh, an extensive op- opinion piece um, on Brexit in the Sunday Independent and uh, I see Gavin you get a, um, a a good mention as well I do Thanking but, but so does Savannah in
2: fairness I'm not going to put my hand out I'm fine without no, having that yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Well I suppose that, that was one point because I know you as Owen Harris says Gavin you, uh, you gutted the, the white paper on the Tonight Show during the week and um, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment but just the just listening to, ter- to Theresa May uh, Um, This morning. Mm. Just what did you make there or what you had to say?
0: God, it's awful guff. (laughs) <laughs> it's awful guff is what I made of it. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of uh, when they finally produce the white paper and, and nobody wants to shoot it down so quickly because, um, you know, whatever about Theresa May saying that the no deal is still on the prospect or still mm. on the table and no deal might be better than a bad deal. Um, no one else around Europe wants there to be no deal at all. So it's in nobody's interest to immediately shoot down what they're proposing and to say, this isn't workable, go on, get out the door and to start preparing to batten down the hatches because a storm is coming. Um, but if you just try to reconcile exactly what Europe's red lines are and what the UK is proposing it's just not going to happen because um, you know Owen Murphy or Owen Harris rather describes it as me uh, you know lucidly gutting the white paper it wasn't intended to to be like that but um, all I did was point out that the EU has uh, this absolute red line um, and I think a lot of time actually people assume that the public completely knows what these red lines are so maybe just to, to give people a little refresher course mm-hmm. the EU has uh, what are called the four freedoms and that the, uh, the entire You know, architecture, the design, the ethos of the single market is designed around these so-called four freedoms and they're supposed to be inseparable. So you have the free movement of people, you have the free movement of capital, i.e. money, the free movement of goods and the free movement of services. And the idea is that among the borders between Europe's nations, there is no, uh, they have to be completely porous for all of those things and you can't split them off and choose which ones you want to allow and which ones you don't.
1: The a la carte approach to it.
0: Yeah, and and this is where, uh, as as was mentioned in one of your headlines there, Michael Brennan in the Sunday Business Post saying this is the cherry-picking solution. Ultimately... This is, when it gets subjected to any meaningful analysis this will be thrown out the window straight away because Theresa May is proposing to uh, keep something of a single market for goods particularly when it comes to agri-food and all the, the ones that are needed to avoid a hard border on this island um, but still wants to have certain controls around capital except when it comes to the City of London. She wants to have visa-free travel but she doesn't want to have uncontrolled uh, f- full residency and migration for other EU citizens um, and she wants to not have a single market for services which would be very weird if you bought an iPhone from abroad and you'd get the physical good but you would have a blockade on Apple Care, stopping you from taking Mm -hmm. that out in another country which is this completely unworkable thing Uh, and ultimately no matter what sort of fudge that there is regards taking European rules to avoid borders for agri-food and all of that the idea of cherry-picking from those four freedoms is a complete like it's sacrilege to Europe it's completely against all the catechism that Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron uh, read from so it's simply not going to happen and that ultimately means that no matter what Theresa May said about you know we wanted to do this or that this deal was irreconcilable Mm -hmm. so we said that we'd go and look for this one instead what it all ultimately comes down to is that the rest of Europe will see this as an attempt to pick and choose the best okay. parts of single market, all of the benefits without any of the liabilities and it's going to be a no. And that's ultimately no matter of them, all, the, all the, the hard talk and question marks about progress, that's ultimately where we are.
1: Okay, can I ask you, the Carol, just even from listening to Theresa May there this morning, mm. what stood out for you from, from what she said there today?
2: Um, well, when I read the white paper during the week, <laughs> one of the things I tweeted was like, oh, here, have some word salad for your luncheon and, and Theresa May just continues that there. It's because there's absolute irreconcilables between as Gav just uh, detailed really well there like there are just things that will not work that what the UK wants and what the EU has to protect they cannot be worked out and one of the things that I find absolutely it's astounding in all of this is politicians are terrible at deadlines like awful like look at like what we've seen this week we're trying to get bills over the line and and, you know rushing to get things Mm. done in the last minute politicians are not good at deadlines we need this to be done and dusted by October and then even if they get a, a little reprieve from that the reprieve is like weeks not months or years and you're talking about really really complex breaking up of 40 years of policy, legal uh, policy, um, trade policy, it's absolute like, just absolute bonkers and Theresa May then is just talking absolute nonsense, she's talking about what the people went out and voted on actually this is, n- nothing about this is what the people voted on Like the, you're talking about what part of having a rule book, so, so Gav has explained there how it won't work for the EU how it won't work for the people who voted to leave the EU, she's talking about having British people sit on EU technical committees so that this joint rule book that they're going to adhere to if any p- part of this white paper ends up being in any kind of deal, that you're gonna have British people sitting on EU technical committees where this where this rule book will be made up, but they won't have a vote. So we're sitting there and they're going to you know, be around Germany with France, with mm-hmm. Ireland, with um, Portugal, with Spain, and we're gonna be talking about what rules that we want for our agri-food and for all our other goods then they won't get a say in it, but they're going to have to adhere to it anyway. That is not what people voted for. So th- th- the whole thing is just absolute nonsense and I can't see any way that there's going to be any kind of a deal on the future well, relationship made by October.
1: That, that's one of the points that even Theresa May just flagged again there this morning of Anna is that, you know, again, she's saying and Gav touched on it there a few moments ago too, that like no deal is still possible in all of this, like...
3: Well it clearly is and certainly looking at the uh, coverage of the white paper during the week and even in today's papers the phrase that stands out and is used constantly and you know headlines Michael Brennan's piece in the Business Post is cherry picking that from the EU perspective and from an Irish perspective it still looks like Mm. this white paper is very much Britain seeking to cherry pick aspects that it likes out of uh, the EU movements and the EU core rules and not take others I would take issue with Sinead's point about politicians and deadlines (laughs) I think we we are like journalists we work best to deadlines actually and I think I suppose the best the best uh, positive uh, view one can take of the white paper and the coverage and the and Theresa May's comments this morning is that it is another stage in the negotiation mm-hmm. process. And I think this, is, this comes out in some of the coverage today that um, while a lot in it is clearly cherry picking, a lot is wishful thinking, a lot of the things that have put forward, mm-hmm. clearly the EU cannot sign up to. Like the lack of any sort of concession on trade and services, for example, which is a huge issue for Ireland where we have an enormous uh, mm-hmm. trade and services with Britain. So that's a real worry for us that, that there's no concession there from the British. British side. At the same time, this is a step in a negotiation process. I think um, I think it's in Michael Brennan's piece the point that this is really, marks perhaps the first step of a move in Britain of uh, British official thinking from a hard Brexit to a soft um, Brexit. So there is that, that there is, this is a, a stage as a negotiation. October of course is a crucial deadline but there are, but but, but if we see some further movement it may be that we will have, uh, we will see more concessions. Cr- critically there's a lack of um, concession on who adjudicates, you know. Yeah. the. And Certainly, the commentary during the week issue. was that
1: you know the white paper, the publication of it, was a shift from effectively the hard Brexit it, it, to a softer Brexit. That, and that and
3: shift, and I think Theresa May's comments on the backstop are important too. That yeah. she's she's very she's very clearly set out a commitment to maintaining frictionless border. Oh, How we achieve that, and of I, course think is the th- the, I think I think that's why
2: we haven't had a flat out rejection that, you know, we've had yeah. um people come out and say, you know, including Simon Coveney, saying, you know, we welcome this and we welcome that there's something down on paper that we're not just mm. talking about speeches anymore. Because this yeah, is well, just Michelle putting... Michel himself yeah, said
1: 80, about 80% hmm. of it is yes, workable. So. So. Right. Yeah.
2: The, the t- it's the 20% yeah. he but, said, yeah, Which yeah, is the important part. It's the spirit it's of concessions. At least yeah. Has yeah. But I think that's why we haven't had a flat out no yet. We know this is unworkable. There's one part of it as well that I think um, has to be mentioned as well the freedom of movement. So there ha- were some concessions. You know that there would have to be some migration allowed into into the UK. But one of the things that they're saying is, it's it's a, literally a definition of cherry picking that we will actually be able to choose. So it's it's yes. like we, we can workers. choose. Well, yeah, yeah, if just, we need if we need plumbers, or if we need builders, if we need doctors, and we can just pick and choose. Why would the EU allow that? Well, so the, so well the, the best the and the other, most needed. The other cherry picking
0: like, thing is that if they're still uh, intent on upholding the common travel area, this kind of in essence dual citizenship that we currently. Have with Britain that they would have to allow Irish people in, irrespective of how skilled they are, and they would have to be allowed to have full permanent residency, but no one else from the
1: EU would. Okay. Mind mind you, that's how we are. But mind
3: you, we have always had that special mm. relationship there. between
1: Ireland and Britain, even can, within the terms. I Just want to ask you finally, just before we move off um, from Brexit for the moment, um, just Gavin on Theresa May between Chequers last weekend, the fallout of the, of the white paper this yeah. week, obviously Boris Johnson, <laughs> yeah, and, and, David and David Davis, Davis. Was still in office this time last yeah. week, yeah, mm. and actually it's extraordinary. Think, it's hard it? to believe it's seven days ago, but um, and obviously she herself from her own leadership like position and perspective from where she is and obviously MPs meeting uh, during the week to, mm. to discuss whether it was going to be a challenge like she herself has had an incredibly difficult she
0: has but week I, I actually think office. her week has gone actually in, in relative terms it's gone very well because if you were ever going to get anything any square deal or anything that was vaguely plausible or sensible through the cabinet there was always going to have to be bloodletting because there was always going to be an ideological disparity within the ministers and some weren't going to like what they had and if they've walked over it so be it maybe now the British uh, cabinet or what's left of it might be a little bit more uh, pragmatic it might not be quite so uh, you know rigid behind its red lines um, so at least we might get there and you know, there was always the prospect that if Boris Johnson and we still don't know yet what he's going to do but if he decided Mm -hmm. to launch a heave over this we'd have uh, awful things. Theresa May has at least got to something that's you know it, the, the spirit of it is to be practical she wants to try and have workable ideas there's a lot of stuff in the 104 pages that talk about how you're going to be able to have certain structures that get around some of the red lines and it, it's an attempt to be practical the The only problem is that she, she perhaps didn't go far enough because she is still trying to reconcile um the, the practice and life on the ground with the views of certain charlatans within both of the major okay. British parties who simply can't be satisfied
1: Do stay tuned to us you're listening to uh, Andrea Gilligan uh, in for Kieran Cudahy this morning with our News Talks on the record we'll be back in just a moment
0: on the record on, on news talk
1: Good morning, this is Andrea Gilligan in for a Kieran this morning on uh, News Talks on the Record. Here on News Talk, we're going through the Sunday papers. Our panel today, Sinead O'Carroll, Gavin Riley and Ivana And um, We've been talking about the presidential election and we've also been talking about Brexit, but just to put on a, a different hat, Sinead, at the moment, mm. um, your sporting hat. I know it's, it's a busy time, obviously, lots going on, but just on the Irish front and Irish athletics, um, yeah. like, great coverage this week and it seems you know, the future is, is bright. Yeah, what an area, uplifting
2: like. few weeks we've yeah. had. Um, obviously we haven't had a, a real massive story in Irish athletics for a while and if, if anyone hasn't uh, caught up with, with our um Historic four by one hundred meter medalists. So our, our under twenty girls won the silver medal in the world championships. Our first ever relay medal in a global outdoor um, competition. Our only our second medal in the thirty two history year history of the event. I'd suggest going on Twitter and following Cahal Dennehy and look at some of the coverage he's been doing over the last uh, few days, as well as Dervla Rourke who's over there, um, and just having a look at them winning that medal. It was it was just absolutely brilliant. Molly Scott. Gina Acquia Moses Kira Neville and Patience Jumbo Gula they were just superb they had they were 0.6 seconds off an adult record they were had a really really bad changeover going into the last uh, leg of the of the 4 by 100 and Patience ended up running out of her skin she, sh- they Fantastic. talked afterwards about how what were they thinking Kahal asked them like what were you thinking and they all just said run <laughs> run run <laughs> and you have these joyous teenagers who've just won a world silver medal for Ireland um, talking afterwards and that's all that they were thinking they had the tricolour painted on their faces as they ran around and this is coming off the back of Sarah Healy winning two medals at the European Championships in the under 18s um, having a, a great time there Sophia Sullivan, obviously, Sonia's daughter. Dora, everyone yeah. watched her win a win a medal as well. So just an amazing couple of weeks. And oftentimes, we don't want to put too much pressure on these youngsters. You know, it doesn't always translate into you know adult mm. m- momentum. And you know, there's an awful lot that needs to be done. I heard Gervell Rourke speak on second captains this week about burnout being a real problem, and you know, just maintaining health and yeah. and, and, and interest. It? And you know, that and you can you be you very injury grown at that age as well. So you yeah. just need to,
0: to, to really mind yourself. I just love the irony that the uh, that last leg that incredible final dash towards the line where we very nearly caught up with the Germans in goal mm. uh, that that sprinter is called Patience a sprinter <laughs> called Patience I just love
2: that and it was actually one of the other things is Neville came in the, the girl who ran the third leg she came in as a substitute she was actually um, the fifth person on the team but Atalecki got injured she has a hamstring strain so she, she came in as a substitute so not only do we have four 100 metre uh, sprinters yeah. who are capable Probably's of winning we have five, five yeah. which it's, is it's unbelievable. unbelievable and it's amazing They um, all the girls talk Talked about their coach Karen Kirk, but it's it's a great. Uh a sign of what's actually happening in underage athletics. Yeah, as absolutely.
1: Well. And even just as, you, as you touched on that idea of kind of the you know maintaining that into the future, and this was all the hype now that goes with that and the pressure, etc. As well. So it'd be a story I'm sure that uh, we'll keep a close eye on that, Gavin. I want to talk to you about um, just even because politically it was a story during the week about water and weather, mm. and I've never heard and seen so many people give out about the good weather that we've <laughs> yeah. had yeah. for the yeah. last three weeks. It's just been incredible, really. Um, it's but good but to know that the
0: Irish are so fickle and both directions that you know whenever we have weeks and weeks of rain we're like would we give just anything for one lovely day of weather and now we've had weeks and weeks of lovely weather and we are like, give praying anything for, rain. for a sun and, and there's been showers out all morning and someone pointed out to me very early this morning that it's St. Swithin's Day which for uh, people who don't come from a background when they know what that is it is supposedly the day in folklore in which the weather today is replicated for the next 40 days and lo oh and God, behold right. for, the time <laughs> in, for the first time in weeks it is bucketed rain yeah, over it's been raining since early this morning which, anyway, which means that the, the crisis is averted and that the host pipe ban I'd imagine will be yeah. lifted in very near order because it looks like we're <coughs> gonna be uh going to be swimming our way to work for the next couple of weeks
1: Absolutely and the hosepipe ban was something I think that was you know well discussed and dominated in the confidential line that was set up that people could ring in and mm-hmm. I think at one point during the week Irish Water maybe had about 10 complaints it's, it was kind of an interesting one to see I thought for Irish attitudes of Anabachic yeah. <laughs> as to whether you know we, are you going to complain about <laughs> your, your next well, door neighbour <laughs> I think
3: everyone started looking at very clean cars and very green lawns with a suspicious <laughs> eye you yeah. know you could see people eyeing these up but I suppose uh, yeah, it, it was quite a shock to wake up to rain this morning. You know, and we've had such glor- such glorious it's sunshine and such positive news, like the fantastic news stories about the young Irish women doing so well for Ireland at athletics, and you know everybody watching the World Cup in, in a well disposed fashion. I have to say, I'm giving a shout out for Croatia today. I hope uh, they do well. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, another dark or smaller country than Ireland, yeah. as everyone said. So it's always good to see small countries doing well. But I mean, the, yeah, the weather is, is a worry now. We'll see if this, if Gavin's right about Saint Swithin's Day. or If we forty days can wake up for this I just <laughs> want to
1: stay with yourself Havana because this week here on a, actually on News Talk Breakfast we had a special series on the issue of domestic violence and I know that you were speaking this week at the Safe Ireland seminar uh, on that issue and like yes. on the challenges and, and the challenges as well that the criminal justice system is facing in, in terms of focusing on I suppose um patterns of behaviour and and all of that. Just the Domestic Violence Act um, will, will that address some of those issues? It will, yes. And this is an act that was passed in May of this year finally after going through
3: um, extensive debate in the Dáil and Shannad. And I must say again just to come back to what we talked about earlier a positive example of new politics mm. at work because myself and Senator Colette Kelleher and Deputy Francis Fitzgerald were all speaking at the Safe Ireland seminar on Thursday where we were discussing the impact of the act the likely impact of the act and the process by which it became passed because there was a really collaborative process. Francis was the minister who initially steered it although um, then succeeded by other justice ministers but there was a great deal of two, of negotiation about the ultimate shape of the Act and Safe Ireland and Women's Aid and all the NGOs had input into it and as a result of that we've achieved what I think is a remarkable um, progress in terms of how we deal legislatively with this huge challenge of domestic violence. We've got a new offence of coercive control in place in the legislation and this is an offence that recognises that abuse is not just physical abuse that violence can take many forms that, that domestic violence can take many forms, and there's in particular a sort of controlling behavior a pattern of controlling behavior whereby often women in a relationship are prevented from uh, socializing with friends where there's surveillance on their on their uh, phones on their social media where there's, uh, where they're subject to this sort of coercion and this restraint on their freedom and their liberty that this can be as as oppressive and as um as as uh, serious an issue and can often lead indeed so to re- the coercive to re-
1: control will form so of, that, that is a new offence of our, and yeah. we had
3: many Gardaí present at the seminar talking about how they're going to police and investigate that sort of offence. It's already a crime in England so we've, we've got yeah. other um, other jurisdictions where we've seen it in operation. We had great presentation from Davina James-Hanneman who's an expert, British ex- based, based expert, speaking about how in practice you can use this offence. But we've also got a whole range of other important changes through the legislation including for the first time judges being given a list of factors to take into account when they are making a decision as to whether or not to grant a barring order or a safety order in cases okay. where domestic violence is alleged it'll make a huge difference to practitioners and to women and men who are who are uh, victims and, and, that's something and, that chi- uh, and to children and you
1: you know this better that it's that I I often hear that that's something that you know the legal practitioners look for is that they want those kind of guidelines and box ticking that Absolutely. you can see
3: like a real problem I'm well. talking over many years as I have done to survivors of domestic violence a real issue for so many has been when they get to court an inconsistency mm. in approaches by different courts often lack of joined up uh, court procedures so you might have your children's custody being decided by one one judge who has no idea that there may be a, a criminal uh, issues a, 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 against uh, uh, one of the against a parent in another court, so you really do have difficulty currently with procedures and with practices in the courts. We're trying to address that, so we're hopeful the act will be commenced by the end of this year. It's been passed through the Oractus, okay. as I say, really good collaborative process and uh, a and great seminar on Thursday. And credit to Safe Ireland for organising that, They're re- they've they really been pushing okay. for change. For just very, very, very
0: briefly, just a, there was a mention of new politics, and without any de- detraction at all from the very valuable substance of what Ivana was just talking about, she mentioned that it's a good sign of, of new politics and how things are done. On the flip side, you have to accept that things are now done an awful lot more slowly because that is one yes, of mm-hmm. of 12 uh, bills so far that this year that Michael D has had the pleasure of signing into law. There are another two in his desk, which made it through the door this week. When the Shannon rises and Ivan and, and her colleagues go on recess, there will be another five. That brings the grand total this year up to 19. You would have to go back seven decades to find a spring term or summer term that wasn't interrupted by a general election that resulted yeah. in fewer bills actually being signed into law. It's actually one of the least productive legislatures in decades, possibly in the history of the state. And al- although everyone likes this idea of consensus and things being done with a hand holding, hands across the divide thing, you have to accept that things are done an awful lot more slowly. Yeah, there's result. no
3: doubt about that. I mean, Biologic. it's been very poor like that. And and as always, again, coming back to the point about deadlines, as always, you know, a, a rush yeah. of bills yeah, right at, the, at end the end of the term, whereas we've had such a stagnated process mm. in terms. We've had really slow t- time getting bills to us from the Dáil the Shannon will be sitting this week as Gavin says this coming week even though the dollar's risen because we do still have other legislation to get through including the road traffic bill which I think will <laughs> I hope <laughs> will pass the Shannon uh, without li- delays on easier, Tuesday probably, but yeah. but yeah the slowness of the process is that's a valid critique I think to make we see it, it's positive when you can have good collaborative discussions and where there's a willingness by a minister to engage often because there's no government majority on things like domestic violence but it has meant a very slow process and, and
2: the so no, actually, which like, is the referendum on the woman's place in the home now being being delayed, obviously, because the government thought that they would be able to not do it. With, would they be able to do it without pre-legislative scrutiny? The all committee said absolutely not. You can look at that in both ways. Isn't much better to have a conversation around it? Probably, yeah, and we can look at like the, the different conversations about a lot of whether it should be replaced two, or, so. you know, um, so that is probably a better way of doing it. But on the other side, who knows okay. when we'll have or if ever we'll have this referendum.
1: Mm. OK, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to uh, our panel this morning, Shanae the Carl, News Editor with the Journal.ie, Gavin Riley, Political Correspondent with TV3 and Ivana Bachik Labour Senator and Law Lecturer in TCD. This is News Talks on the Record. It's Andrea Gilligan in for Kieran Cudahy this morning and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: On the record. On the
1: record. News Talk.